Hello and welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to a Brian Fuller series currently on NBC and based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I'm Sean Coletti. My co-host is Kate Kolzik, TV editor at soundonsight.org and writer at theavclub.com. And our guest this week from vulture.com and salon.com and many other places online and in print uh, is Libby Hill, who makes a return appearance to This Is Our Design. Welcome back. Thank you for having me, guys. It's exciting to be here. Is it? Is it because <laughs> it is. is the best show ever? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And this not, is the best podcast ever. <laughs> Why, thank you. We're not going to be defending that statement on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> insincere, insincere. I'm assuming that last one was sincere because it makes me feel better. So it works for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this week we'll be talking about Season 3, Episode 7, Digestivo. But before we get into that, a couple of housekeeping things up at the top. Once again, listeners, if you'd like to get in contact with us, feel free to do so via email at thisisourdesign666 at gmail.com or on Twitter or at soundonsite.org uh, via the posts when this goes up. Uh, you can also leave a rating over at iTunes, which we would greatly appreciate. And uh, iTunes and is working again, by the way. iTunes. Yeah, it, we disappeared for a while, but we're back. So thank you for bearing with us, listeners. Yes, we do appreciate it. And we appreciate listeners so much that we're announcing, as I shake these things, the winner of the Season 2 DVD giveaway. So congratulations to Christine. You are now the proud owner of Season 2 on DVD, which features one of the best TV episodes of all time. Just saying. Uh, so... And I'm just going to throw a quick thank you to everybody who sent us things because we got some really sweet Hannibal fan, uh, I guess, fanable materials. And so thank you to everyone who sent stuff our way. Uh, I very much appreciated them, as I'm sure you did too, Sean. Yes, all the fanable stuff online is insane. Like the amount of people that blog about this show, uh, the dedication that they have to like creating certain things, it's it's really reassuring, you know, that. There are a lot of other people putting in a lot of time for the show, and it gets a lot of love. But uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that during this podcast. Before we get into Digestivo, which, of course, is written by Steve Lightfoot and Brian Fuller and directed by Adam Kane, here are your highlights uh, of Hannibal by the Numbers for the episode. The episode features 330 total lines across 10 speaking roles. Uh, the top three are Mason at 95 lines, Hannibal at 58, and Alana at 43 there are a total of 26 scenes uh, with the average running time of a minute and 35 seconds. The longest and which contains the most lines is actually uh, the scene in which Alana and Margot free Hannibal. Um, so with that as a jumping off point, let's dive into this episode, which is pretty much a season finale kind of episode, right? Totally. Absolutely. Um Brian Fuller and company had been talking about how the season was going to be split between Hannibal on the run and Hannibal in, in Europe and then Red Dragon. And they really, they weren't kidding because there's rumors we may get uh, some some level of a, of a time jump or something to even further split it at the start of the next episode. But what we get here is a very uh, distinct end to what the show has been. I mean, the, the big thing that happens at the end of this episode is that we get our final closure on the Hannibal and Will friendship and uh, relationship. So 
seeing how the show maintains that and adjusts, you know, tweaks that or plays with that in the next six episodes should be really interesting, especially as they were finishing up the show after they knew that they had been uh, not picked up for season four by NBC. So they've really closed that. And so now opening it up again for another to just six episodes, that's going to be tricky for them to manage and have it be satisfying. So I'm looking forward to, to what they're going to do with that. I, I definitely want to talk about um, this first half of the season uh, on those terms, as in like how this first half worked overall as a complete unit, um, maybe in comparison to some of the stuff that we've had before. But like before doing that more generally, I wanted to kind of do it on a more micro level because it relates to some of the criticism that I've been reading about um, this season so far. Uh, and that has to do, I guess, with the style of how these episodes have gone. So I, I think that each half season of Hannibal thus far has been pretty different from the previous. Um, maybe the first season is a little bit more cohesive as a unit, but I still think, you know, before Will was really starting to have all of his uh, mental and emotional issues, um, that was different from afterwards when we were seeing Hannibal really guide that towards his own purposes. Uh, but, but in any case, yeah, it feels like we've had five half seasons thus far. And um, one of the, the complaints or criticisms or just maybe things that have been brought up uh, around the internet is that the violence in this half season has been a little bit different than has been the case in previous episodes or seasons or half seasons or however you want to look at it. Um, and the way that I identify that is that, you know, we've praised this show in the past for its really smart portrayal of violence in that it's not used in a overtly gruesome or sensationalist way that it's, it's smart, it's artistic, it really serves the purpose. And it, it has seemed like the, the gore has been a little bit more overt in this. And of course, we get a, a very over the top moment in this episode with uh, the eel. But um, it just seems like shots seem to linger a little bit longer on certain uh, acts of violence, whether that's the cutting of something on the body or something like that. So I was wondering, Libby, if you have kind of noticed that actively as you've been watching this half season, um, has the violence changed at all for you? And has that also changed, uh, I guess, the tone of this half season for you? Uh, I think the violence has changed, but curiously, I think that that's not an accident. Uh, I, I think that it is a very intentional choice, and I think it reflects Hannibal on the run. Um, Hannibal, this first half season, was not the character that we have seen the two seasons or four half seasons preceding. Like, he is a little disheveled. He's, you know, he's he's out of his his palace, both physical and mind, Um and he doesn't have time to take as much care as he typically would. There's no plastic suits in like in the wild. There's no um there there's no painstaking anything. And 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 while I am not as learned in things like uh of uh, uh like um historical painting Things like that. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if the violence we're seeing more in this half season reflects a more specific um, era where things were a little bloodier, things were a little gorier. I mean, if you look at the death of Potsy, 
specifically um, seems like since it was a, a, a specific reference to whatever art Hannibal had. Um, sorry, I'm rambling now. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like there I feel like it is the violence is different, but because of the faith that I have in this universe, even as I haven't been as engaged in this half season, I don't think that's an accident. Like I, I think that 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 we are supposed to be drawing very specific lessons from from how gory and how um, how much more callous the violence is now. Well, and I'd also extend that beyond Hannibal, what we're getting in this uh, episode with Mason and his plans for Hannibal, that feels very in keeping with his character. And I'm sure we'll dive in with that as we continue here. But over the course of this half season, there's been there's been violence, but most of it, you know, when, when with Hannibal, he killed Dr. Fell off screen. He uh, killed Fell's wife off screen. He killed Soliato very memorably on screen, but uh, that was again it was not prolonged. And same thing with with Anthony. That was he he just cracks his neck. So those were very um, effect like the 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 way that the camera lingered with the the spray of blood with Anthony in in Antipasto um, is very artistic and um, going for that. Uh, painterly i think you could say aesthetic with that um whereas what we get in this episode with mason and with hannibal you know responding to mason with with cordell's face and with the eel and with the the pig the gruesome stuff that we get you know with that this is all much more in keeping with what we know about about mason versus most of the violence in actually killing people that Hannibal's done as opposed to Anthony's corpse after the fact. Um, but when we've actually seen Hannibal killing people this season, it's mostly been very fast and, uh, and very short, even with Soliato, it was a horrible, horrifying stab and then a quick drop and breaking his neck. Um, so, so most of the violence that we got in this episode felt very different from the other violence we've gotten this season. Gruesome as some of it has been. He's just not taking any joy in his work anymore. He really, he's not savoring it in the way that he would have. You know, he doesn't need the kill suit because it's just over so quickly, <laughs> I guess. He's, he's like, he's he's just not relishing in it. It's just another job. No. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I would kind of use that to respond to some of the people who have brought this issue up. And I'm not saying either way that, you know, they're, they're more or less correct in any views that I have, but just looking at how the character and characters, I suppose, have changed, that the portrayal of the violence, I think, also kind of has to undergo a similar change just because a lot of that artistry um, that we got earlier, this is, that was often Hannibal trying to impress Will in some way, and now that they've seen each other at their core and at their worst, it's that reservation um, isn't really there anymore so it, it leaves it open to much more violent acts and yet i still feel like it's not entirely that it's it's both that we're seeing both and that that is kind of part of the point is that um like you said kate that there are some deaths that appear off screen even in this episode in which we see something like the eel um we also get hannibal walking out of the main house holding that hammer and you know we didn't see any of that violence occur so 
I think that that's a, a, that was an interesting decision just to kind of show that these things um, are still that it's not trying to be gory for any purpose. I suppose that that it's important to display both. I'm not really sure for what reason, but it seems like that's something that we should be paying attention to. Yeah, the, there's not violence just to have violence. There's violence because um, if that was the case, then we would have seen and, you know, I'm sure it would have been very beautifully photographed um, detail how he whatever horrible thing he did to everybody in that in the main house who wasn't Alana or Margot or Mason. Um, the violence that we see is specifically directed in, in this episode, um, whether it's by Hannibal, uh, against Hannibal, um, and the other characters as well. Um, but I, yeah, and again, anybody who's having trouble with the violence on the show this season, I'm not, but I absolutely hear where you're coming from. <laughs> and, uh, it's an, it's been an intense, intense ride. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about it, I guess, more generally, because there have been other complaints lobbied at this for, and I don't want to spend too much time just kind of regurgitating stuff that's already been said, but I think that now that we've had this full seven episodes that it's at least, you know, worth responding to, to some extent that uh, at least in the early, early going, some of the chatter seem to be, you know, this is maybe a little bit too artsy, and that some aspect of the show have been lost. Uh, Libby, you said that you've been a little bit less engaged with this version of the show than you have been with previous versions, I assume. Could you um, maybe elaborate on why that is for you? Because I think that for anybody who feels that, it's going to be maybe a little bit different from one another. I Specifically for me, I was feeling very, very disconnected from Will in these first, well, I mean, I don't want to say seven because obviously I, I got back in there, but um, as the season progressed, I don't know, his, his wanderings, you know, he's always been such a, well, a mirror for everyone, but uh, a mirror for Hannibal and watching him literally go through Hannibal's footsteps was not as engaging as I hoped it would be. Um, I, the show loses something when Hannibal and Will are not able to work in concert with each other, Um, which uh, which would concern me about moving forward. But uh, they're making such a a clean break of what the show has been moving forward that it's it's not so much a concern as as I just I wasn't very engaged in Will's walkabout, I guess. And uh and I, I struggled to still invest in it. It was, it's a very difficult show, a very psychologically complex show, not always the most subtle show. So when they had so many episodes without sort of the empathetic center, um, although Jack sort of filled that role, it was, um, I felt, uh, anchorless. And um, I wasn't sure if it was still the show I loved, but I came around, thankfully. Well, I absolutely agree about uh, about Will, though. For me, I come from it from a different, a little different perspective where I can't watching this. I feel like at episode four or partway of the partway through writing episode five, Contorno, Brian Fuller just went, yeah, let's just do a half season instead. Like, it really, to me, feels like they got through the first three 
or four episodes, and that's when he decided to turn, to go from doing a full season in Italy to only doing a half season. And I don't know that that is true based on, you know, when that, you know, when they started announcing casting for Dollarhide and everything. I feel like that can't be the case. Um, or, it, you know, that, that happened, the writing happened early enough that they should have been able to go back and do some rewrites on the first three or four episodes before, like, so they, those episodes shouldn't have been locked before they just, they knew that they were only doing half a season. Um, but with how dark they took Will in episode three with the Firefly Man and with Chio, um, it, that, that I was, I was not sure about that in episode three, but then I was like, hey, let's wait to see what happens next. We're going to really explore how Will has been affected by by all of this and by walking in, in Hannibal's footsteps. But then that never happened. Then he spends another episode being kind of vague with Chio, and then he gets thrown off a train, and all of a sudden he's our Will again. Like, that 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 really didn't work for me. And, I, and it felt like looking at the, this half season, and I talked about this in my review over at Sound On Sight, like it really feels like they needed two more episodes. Because when you look at the, the amount of care and the, the, the beautiful handling of, of Jack and, and Bella, and then you look at the handling for that transition with Will, which basically it doesn't really happen. Um, and then especially when you look at Alana and, and Margot, who feel completely different in this episode than they have in the the rest of the season. Like I needed significantly more time with them. And if, if they weren't going to have those episodes, then they needed to do something. They like episode four with Margot. She's not in it. She's just in the background of like two scenes. She gets one brief scene with Alana and she's all of a sudden dressed in pigtails and uh, really infantilized in her outerwear as compared to the powerful, striking, dynamic presence she was at the end of the last season. So that change happens off screen. Then we see her in the next, the next time we see her, she's even more infantilized with these like baby girl curls and even more submissive to her brother. And then all of a sudden, oh, that was all a ruse. And that's what we discover in the, the last couple episodes. The handling of, of both Alana and, and Margot over this half season is really frustrating to me because Alana got comparatively short shrift last season i was willing to go with them on it because season three is when we're going to get that but if they could be so beautiful in their handling of jack and bella it's really frustrating to me that they couldn't be at least a little better with that transition for will and especially for alana i having seen now all of these episodes and getting the full arc um i feel that less so for Alana and Margot than I did before, although I still wish that there had been more screen time for them. Um, but I agree that that Will seems to be a key part of not necessarily frustration, but some kind of disconnect, because it felt like Will in Primavera, the second episode, um, his goodbye to Abigail, that that felt very much like Will. And then we get a little bit of this other thing where, like you said, Libby, that it, it didn't really buy into him um, blending or meshing with Hannibal or following in the footsteps. It, it, it more felt like it should have been that kind of just thoroughly defeated and saddened will um, after having lost so many things at the end of season two and that all that character, that version of will needed to do was just go find Hannibal, sit in front of that painting, get his closure, and then he could be the the really cold and calloused 
goodbye Hannibal will that he is at the end of this episode. Yeah, there was something strange about the direction that they took him between those two things. And the other character I, I forgot to mention that I wanted to was um, was Potsy. Because, again, the character of Potsy that we see in Primavera is not the character. He wouldn't sell out Hannibal for money. But then the next time we see him, that's what's happening because that's what the plot requires. And it really feels like there's an episode transition missing there. Libby, am I crazy? What, what do you think about that? Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I think the characterization this season was not great. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're right. It makes it, it. And I think that's what's so frustrating about it. You say that they needed two more episodes. They had the exact right number of episodes, but they sure as shit didn't use them correctly. Like they didn't pace them correctly. I can understand wanting to be kind of languorous, like you're in Europe and, oh, it's different. But like they did not use the time in those first three episodes well enough to put those characters through all the machinations they needed to go through in, you know, the, the last four, like I do disagree with, I do disagree with Alana. Like I, I really like where Alana, Alana, (laughs) I will never say her name the same way twice. So sometimes it will be correct. Um, I, I really liked what happened with that character because I liked how everyone got drawn down into the muck. Um, did I want more time with them? Absolutely. Like, uh, if I had to pick a character I was frustrated with this season, I would actually say Bedelia. Um, Jillian Anderson is amazing, but I feel like we just brought her back to have Jillian Anderson on the show and, and that there was a lot of wheel spinning. And she and Hannibal actually didn't play off each other as much as I might have expected at this point. Um, but maybe I'm way off base there. That's actually, yeah, no, you're not off base. I mean, I disagree, but I wouldn't say that you're off base. I mean, for me, that's actually one of the arcs that I really liked. I thought they did a really good job, um, with her showing her progression from being completely, uh, not in control of her situation in Antipasto to slowly gaining more and more control over Hannibal and manipulating him and steering him more and more as uh from the end of antipasto or sorry from the end of uh primavera on after will says i forgive you and that just kind of completely throws hannibal for a loop um and again maybe i'm reading between the lines with this um but i i felt like we could see more and more of bedelia's guiding will you're guiding hannibal telling him, well you know you're gonna have to do this well the only thing that forgiveness can be is this and it, i felt like i was getting very hannibal vibe from their therapy sessions or their conversations so that the point when we get um the the whole shepherd and and or, or sorry sheepdog conversation with her she's still like they're still vying for control in that relationship to the point where when we see her here she he initiates the kiss she accepts it and then pulls away from him first she has control over their relationship in this episode which is something i would not have thought possible in the amount of screen time they showed. So I, I, for me, they did a really good job, but I can see being frustrated with, with that dynamic. Cause it's very possible that I just am bring, reading between the lines an insane amount. No, I mean, I think it's a huge Testament that like 
everyone has different issues with this season. So I, I think it kind of speaks to something larger didn't work. And it like the the recipe was miscalibrated, like the alchemy wasn't quite right. Um, and I think that is so clear in how much better, say, six and seven worked as compared to the first five. But that's me. Uh, just to touch on Bedelia, uh, that I feel like I, I agree that it was one of the more not disappointing, but it felt like that there needed to be more there to that arc. But what I would say regarding that now is the rain begins to pour uh, that it felt like maybe half of a whole that Chio also completed for me. Cause I was also a little bit disappointed in that by the end of it, even after all of this, um, there were things that I liked about her character, but it felt like using those two characters as complements to one another and showing how there are two examples of ways um, that Hannibal has influenced people and how one might go about, uh, I guess, reacting to that. It felt like when we got to see those two characters interact with one another last week, that that made a little bit more sense. But again, that's kind of two halves making a whole, which is not what you want, ideally. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, to, to talk a little bit about Alana, since we've all mentioned her, um, just to reiterate what I said a little bit earlier about it's only in this episode that I feel a little bit better about her whole arc. I think that comes down to um, a scene again that old Alana really fight with the new one that she's trying to uh, put an air on um, that we see in her conversation with Will that part of her motivation is that she recognized exactly what Will was going to do from the outset. And still, even after all of this, after all the doubts that she had, after knowing that even though Will was kind of, you know, playing a part that he still was a murderer, he killed Randall Tear, that there was a part of him that she felt was worthy of being saved and that she wanted to have an active role in that saving that it it was that push and pull i think with old alana which we got also in that phone call to potsy where she warns him with trying to to show mason a different side of her i it it may be again like we've all been saying that more time would have been great but it felt like that was complete and justified by the end of it but why why is she they they take her desire to catch Hannibal and they turn it from instead of being about her need for vengeance or I don't know her fear over him promising to kill her in Mizumono um, into I wanted to save Will it's again so it becomes about Will which I thought that beat was in keeping with her character that we've seen saw in season one and most of season two but I, if it was supposed to be more complicated than just let's save Will again because I used to like him and the character hasn't, I still do because I haven't been examined more than that. Uh, they needed to show me that. They needed to show more nuance to it. than that. I really like the scene with Alana and Will here, but I mean, can't she also be in it for vengeance for herself? Can't she also be in it not just to to save Will from himself? Like, should she still want, does she feel guilty over not believing him? Does she feel angry at him over killing Randall Tear? Does she feel foolish? Like, either they needed more time with her or better dialogue, or we needed a more nuanced 
approach from the director or from the actress because I was not getting anywhere near the the complication that should come with that character. I I actually I actually think that for that it's um I think it is more complicated than that, but this is probably me reading into it. I just don't think that Alana thinks she owes Will any explana- explanation. I think she feels responsible for Will. She wants to save Will, but they don't they aren't anything anymore. She doesn't need to share her feelings with him, her anger with him, her hurt with him, her fear with him. Like she's just like, I wanted to save you. And like we know she has other reasons too because we saw her we saw her manipulating mason the best way she knew how and i don't think that was all an act i don't think that was all just to save will i think that everyone got dirty this season but alana's not interested in making excuses for it to anyone like she'll tell you she'll say to will well we wanted to get you cuz you're a fucking idiot but <laughs> Like, and she's not she's not also going to say and also it was very complicated for me because, I mean, although she has always been a character that has gotten short shrift, like we we take it on faith that she's a more complicated character than that. Now, again, how long can you take something on faith without it being served out? But like, I don't know. Um, So that was how I read it. I was definitely reading too much into it here, but that was my take on it, at least. That, that's how we roll at This Is Our Design. <laughs> and I guess that's why I wanted to see some more of her either by herself or with Margot. Because I feel like when it was just the two of them and Mason was not in proximity, they felt much more organic. Um, so like the scene we get of them in this this episode and in the previous episode as well, um, after the, after the that ridiculously amazing sex scene, um, that felt like them at their most relaxed. So... I want to see how she's been affected by Hannibal and by Mizumono and by everything else, all this other trauma she's experienced. Um, but I don't trust what we've seen from her in those other scenes because Mason has always been there. And so when we reveal that she's had this plan of calling the cops on Mason all along, that means that I can't trust what she's been presenting to Mason as much as I've enjoyed it, particularly the fashion and the look, the styling for her all season has been wonderful. Um, But that means I can't trust, (laughs) I can't trust what they've shown us in those moments. And so I just, I, we got to see how Jack responded. We got to see how Will responded. We got to see Will's projection of how Abigail responds, but we didn't get to see how Alana responds without there being an external force that she is play acting for. Um, So that's, I think what I was lacking or what I was, hoping to see that we didn't get yet we haven't gotten yet to fix my grammar no, that makes a lot of sense your argument makes tons of sense and i i it, it's forcing me to look at that through a new light and i appreciate that as is yours we love you we love you libby <laughs> i love you yay, <laughs> yay. okay what's what's uh, do you have any thoughts on this sean because i keep interrupting you i apologize no, no, that's fine. And I apologize to listeners because the rain is really coming down now and we've already had technical technical difficulties, so I can't really afford to postpone this. Um, so just I find bear it very it. relaxing. Yes, and it's Good. very fitting. It's handleable. There should be some water sounds in yeah. our discussion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not to like avoid the question or anything, but I think that uh, what Libby said about 
all of us having our different issues with this half season has been a really interesting thing just in terms of discussing it. And again, Alana, for me, um, it's weird because I've, I've always have had a hard time responding to criticisms about her since the beginning of the series. Like I've, I've never really like had an episode, finished an episode and thought, man, I really wish they were doing something else with Alana. Not because like it, it was like really good writing or anything, because it's not nearly on the same level as some of the other stuff that goes on. But I've never really been as frustrated with her character as it seems like uh, the majority of the viewers are. So with this, again, there were moments during the season where I kind of raised my eyebrow, maybe like biting my nails a little bit. Like I hope that they do something with this. And I guess just for me, they kind of did enough here at the end uh, of the half season where I felt like, yeah, I am at least content with that. Although uh, I would at some point during this discussion like to talk about how she actively helped Margot kill Mason, which is a thing. Yeah, uh, every every character, main character on the show is now officially a killer. That shit, right? <laughs> but at the before, I guess we go too far off into talking about uh, some of the negative things about this season. I, I think it's probably important that we focus on the positive. And for me, that has really been how they've handled the aftermath of Will and Hannibal's relationship since Mizumono. And it's not like completely, not every single scene has been like really popping or anything, but there's been a few really fantastic ones that have hit me hard. Of course, at the end of Primavera, when he, when Will forgives Hannibal, and then when we get the two of them in front of the painting, and then in this episode, um, their goodbye scene, which is the thing I, I really wanted to talk about. Um, uh, Will, says his goodbye uh, with the quotes, I miss my dogs, I'm not going to miss you, I'm not going to find you, I'm not going to look for you, I don't want to hear where you are or what you do, I don't want to think about you anymore. Uh, and then eventually it's just goodbye Hannibal, and Hannibal has to leave at that point. Um, th this has been something that I think has been handled so well because, again, it's one of the really interesting things that Hannibal, the series has done, that Brian Fuller's really focused on is um, portraying a kind of love that is similar to our ideas of the romantic version of love in some ways, like the, the language of it, um, some of the, the ways that those two characters interact, but doing it in a way where it's, it's not that, it's, it's its own kind of love, because obviously there are many different kinds of, of love that people experience. But to me, that handling of that, we got the closure in last week's episode, I feel like we get the the finality of this where Will has just moved on so completely and knows that this has to happen, that he has to cut Hannibal out of his life completely to be able to, to rebuild himself. That has really worked for me. Um, Kate, would you agree with that? Um, absolutely. And I, I think when you're reading that dialogue back in that scene, what really highlights for me is the strength of Hugh Dancy's performance. Cause I think, Everybody, it's just kind of taken as a given that Matt Mickelson is amazing as Hannibal. He's really, really good. Um, but I think a lot of times people underrate Hugh Dancy. And it would be really, really easy for that dialogue to sound angry, to sound resentful, to sound bitter, to sound any number of things. But it's just, it's just bare when he says it. It's, it's not unkind when he's saying it. He's just expressing how he feels and there isn't like a subtext to it. 
I, I, you know, that scene was so beautiful for a lot of ways. And I think you're right, Sean. I think it, it does do a really, that relationship has always done a really great job of acting as sort of a reflection of a romantic relationship, but also as well as, as acting as a reflection of like that agape love between um, God and man. And what struck me most about this scene was how it felt a lot like a person throwing off their religion. Like, it's not just Will getting himself out of a toxic relationship. It's not just like going nuclear and deleting Hannibal's Facebook. You know, it's it's not it's not just that. It's just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. And and I mean, I think that's right. I like I don't it's not coming from a place of anger. It's not coming from a place of hurt. It's coming from a place of resignation where it's just like, I don't believe in you anymore. Um, And he's free and he feels free to live as now as an agnostic, as a Hannibal agnostic, Um, which is what makes the final twist all the more agonizing like it, it it's just in that moment you can you know you know finally how this final scene is going to play out and it's devastating not for the emotion that the always in my opinion amazing dancy is bringing to it but but because you know how he is still going to lose and that's part of what I think is so important about this episode and that we needed this episode in this half of the season. The the whole Europe arc has emphasized the ways that Will and Hannibal are similar. And this episode, specifically the dinner scenes we get with, with Mason, highlights how they are different. And so after the closure of sitting in front of the Primavera and Dolce, we get this dinner with Mason where... Hannibal is having a hell of a... He's just entertained. He's just like, what's going to happen next? I don't actually fear for my life right now. And so I'm entertained, whereas Will is disgusted. And that, after the closure and resolving all of you know their their issues and admitting to each other how important they are to each other um, and how deeply they hurt each other in Mizumono, we get this dinner scene that shows Will... No, there are many ways in which you are like Hannibal, but in this core way, you are different. And that means the, you know, the, the, the magic has worn off, you know, the, the, the rose tinted glasses are off and he's able to, to really then get that scene at the very end where he says, I'm not going to look for you, which is a very big difference from what we had seen every other scene before Dolce. That's a really important point that discussed during that dinner scene um, where it just feels like Will's woken up and he kind of sees the world that he's been dragged into because of Hannibal Lecter and he just doesn't even understand how he got there. Um, it falls in line with the, the religious comparison to man and, and God that you mentioned, Libby, because it's almost like uh, he's kind of snapped out of being in a, like a cult, being under the influence of a cult, Hannibal's cult because a lot of people have been it, and you can kind of call it that at some point, um, and just knows that how unhealthy that's been for him, and um, that's the will that we get. And even in that final scene when Hannibal surrenders, the disgust that, that Will has as he just doesn't even say anything, just walks back into the house, that again, of course, it highlights the, the strength of Dancy's performance, um, but it's, it's also that emphasis of just putting that behind him uh, or at least trying to, um, we're obviously going to get plenty 
of that in this next arc, I assume. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was a really interesting idea that I hadn't really considered that religious aspect because Hannibal, the series uses religion in various ways. You know, it's, it's got a lot of Catholic, uh, references, obviously, especially this half season has dealt a lot with that, but I hadn't really considered the characters in that light. And I think that that, again, like a romantic pair or like a, a deep friendship that that comparison works as well. Yeah, a lot of the season has been, I, I adore that quote from earlier in the season. I want to say it's in Antipasto, but it could be in Primavera, about how so much of friendship is agreeing to ignore the negative sides of someone so that you can continue to um, enjoy the positives. Um, I think that's I think that's a really wonderful way to look. You know, I think I think it's very true. And um, a lot of this season has been, especially after Will forgives Hannibal, him wondering, is it worth it? And this episode is him saying no. And just a quick note. <laughs> I love that line. Um, I will. I miss my dogs. I won't miss you. Kid, like, where are the dogs? The dogs need to be okay. Where are the dogs? <laughs> and they need to be, like, back. Which, given a couple things we know that I won't say in case spoilers um, about next the next chunk of the episode, I really need there to be a line somewhere about, like, if we don't see all the dogs again, I need to know that they're okay and in happy adoptive homes and things. Is, is that just me? <laughs> I feel like Fuller is very... I feel like Brian Fuller is very aware of how people feel about the dogs. And I feel like he will not leave us hanging as far as that goes. That could be a misguided faith, but I believe it. I was even worried about applesauce. I was like, Alana's been so like busy with the vergers. Where is applesauce? That's her dog. I don't know. Poor I don't know, man. <laughs> Um, My priorities might be wrong no, when I'm I, watching. I think a lot of people <laughs> will sympathize life. with that. <laughs> um, another thing about that surrender scene that I want to talk about, I guess, is just the the decision behind it. Um, I mean, we we understand it, but there, I think, there's more to it than that. When I watch that, I also think about. Uh, I don't know during which therapy session it was. It might have been with Bella, but Hannibal just talking about death and his attitude towards it's about how he doesn't really fear it, um, that there's a beauty in it. And so I think that that worldview kind of allows for him to make that decision. Whereas most uh, people in that position, I guess it's hard to say this because he's a serial killer and I don't understand the mind of a serial killer. Right. That, uh, that most people will probably choose to live free and not be locked up. And yeah, there there was something I was meaning to tell you, uh, Sean. So there's this, I have this hobby. Um, I probably should have mentioned this before. We, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, I'm sorry, but both of your co-hosts are serial killers. Uh, Little known fact. Yeah. That, that that decision was motivated not just by his intense uh, feelings for Will, but also that he is the kind of person who doesn't, needs to have the same kind of benefits that a normal person would desire. You know, he's talked about the, the power of the mind palace and how one can just escape into it and that that can be satisfying enough, which I thought was a, another important aspect there that kind of needed to be said. Um, any Anything else we wanted to mention about uh, 
I guess those last two scenes, the Will Hannibal. I have a question about Jack, but just in terms of Will and Hannibal's relationship there and how the, the breaking of it and then the, the kind of permanent attachment that Hannibal forces upon it is handled. Yeah, I think it was so um, important the way that they handled that the the surrender i thought again it was very well played by all, all involved but they've built up Han and i talked about this in my review they've built up hannibal to the point where he is supernatural there the laws of physics and time do not apply to hannibal i mean like he sliced up beverly transported her in a van carried each slab up there's no elevator there so just carry them up multiple flights of stairs to put present them without dripping any water along the way with the ice like there the laws of nature do not apply to Hannibal so to come up with a way that we would accept that he could be captured against his will would have taken gargantuan amounts of explaining they would have basically they would have had to come up with something incredibly elegant and much like one of my favorite fake outs uh, from Justified when the ice pick killer, the, the most elegant solution is often the most simple solution. So instead of coming up with this labyrinthine plot to ensnare Hannibal, they have him turn himself in because it just makes it's it. It keeps the focus on Hannibal and Will's relationship and not on plot, because this is not a show that cares about plot. This is a show that cares about character. So I just think it makes as soon as it becomes clear that that is what's going to happen. It just makes everything else click into focus. And it really, uh, it, it's just such a smart storytelling decision. They don't waste any energy on trying to get you to accept that Hannibal could be caught. They just, just have you accept that he would want to, and they do enough legwork in the last two episodes that he, that you can accept that he would be willing to sacrifice his freedom to leave the door open for in case Will decides to come a call in. The, uh, the other uh, aspect about this ending that I wanted to talk about was related to Jack. And Kate, you mentioned earlier how they handled it really well in terms of um, Jack's story with Bella and how that concluded and affected him in the episodes that we really got to spend quality time with him. Um, but Libby, now that Hannibal's been captured, he brings up this idea of you know, Jack finally getting his Chesapeake Ripper, and this goes all the way back to pre-Hannibal the series events with Miriam Lass and, and how deeply disturbed Jack was because of that. But considering all of this, that he's possibly lost, that Jack has lost Will completely, all of the trauma that both of the characters have gone through, does, does Jack take any solace or does he find any peace in this conclusion? No, I think Jack's peace came from beating the shit out of Hannibal, um, to be completely <laughs> honest. I, I don't I, and and I think that there there's no peace putting Hannibal away, especially since Hannibal like gave himself up. Um, I think Jack will go home to his empty house and he will look back at what he's lost and he will and how he himself got to this place and 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 there there's no peace to be had um i don't know that there's peace for anyone i i don't even think there was peace for will in this idea that he would not look for hannibal um everyone on this show did what they thought they had to do to buy themselves the smallest bit of consolation and i think every single 
one of them failed because that's what happens when you fight a god or in this case the devil himself i i agree that it doesn't really feel like any peace is there for either of the two main characters it feels like the only person who's really satisfied at this point is hannibal because he's uh arranged things to happen on his terms you know and he is getting out what he wants from the situation and all Jack and Will can do is, yeah, kind of strive for that consolation prize, which is that finally this guy's behind bars and at least to some extent they can move on in their separate lives. It's just, it's it's really sad to kind of watch and think about um, the, the looks that Jack and Will give one another in that final scene. It, they're so detached and cold and this was a friendship that i really valued early in in this series where it felt like jack and will really cared about one another and even though jack kept pushing will um a lot of that came there was a lot of fear behind pushing him too far because of miriam lass and it's just that's another part of this show that's just so broken now and, and hard to deal with as a viewer and especially like you know when alana says to will that jack is alive and he just says well good for jack it's it's difficult i mean it makes sense totally and this is not like a criticism of the writing or, or where they took that it's just another part of this conclusion that's hard to stomach i would be very surprised if we didn't see a resuscitation of that friendship in this next uh you know chunk of episodes because even in the previous episode there's a fondness between the two of them the way that Will says he's under the table. Like, clearly, there's still a connection there. I mean, Jack went to Europe to find Will, and there's there's still a there's still something there. This is not like Will and Hannibal, at least to me. So I would be very very surprised if we didn't see a warming between the two of them. And I think Will is just very focused in that. You know, well, good for Jack. I think he's just very focused on what's going on preamps like that doesn't yay i guess but i'm still about to have my face cut off you know um so yeah i guess i i'm i'm really viewing that as a temporary situation so i think that's helping me not be too disappointed in it i think that's that's a good way of looking at it um we'll have more things to talk about in relation to this episode but for now we'll move on to the recurring segments for this is our design and begin of course with Kate's classical corner. So Kate, what can you tell us about the soundtrack and the scoring in Digestivo? Well, there are two classical pieces featured in this episode, the first of which is uh, Mozart's Concerto Number no. 21, uh, Kirkle 467, I want to say. It's a second movement in the Andante movement. It's absolutely lovely. This is used as Mason is uh, have you know entertaining his guests. Um, how have we not talked about all the penis fixation in this episode? Uh, so much of it. Anyways, that that I can't think of that dinner scene without thinking about that. Anyways, the, the that that is a specific reference to an episode, to one of the Bond movies. Um, it's the the spy who loved me. There, the the villain in that, and in his <laughs> uh, ridiculously gorgeous submarine, the dining room in his submarine. Uh, he's entertaining. I want to say it's Bond. Um, Stromberg is the villain, um, and he plays that while they're having dinner. So that's that's why that specific um movement of that concerto was was selected but it's it's a lovely piece the other classical piece um is the beginning of the tchaikovsky symphony number no. five second movement the andante cantabile which is just 
one of my favorite things. So I was very happy when it popped up. Of course, that is that movement is very famous for its gorgeous horn solo. And this is used it when we call after we cut to commercial when we come back to the Cordell cutting into Will's face and then Hannibal into Cordell's as well as intercut with the scene with the pig and the the you know the the fetus or the baby and um that very notably cuts away before we get to that horn solo. It's just the very ominous start to the to the movement. At a certain point in the in the chord progression it, it transitions into major. So it starts very minor, very it's very slow, it's very dirge like, uh, which fits with what we're seeing with the the ugh, face peeling. Um, and then when we go to the major, we're with Margot and Alana, and that major shift, that that transition into the major, happens when Alana hands the baby to Margot, and we stay with her through the end of the 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 excerpt and when we cut back to uh mason with cordell's face and everything we're out of the 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 classical piece out of the out of the tchaikovsky and into the score so it's when it's minor we're seeing mason and we're seeing uh, alana cut into the pig when it transitions to Ma to to margo it's that and i feel like that her seeing what should have been her baby is when the, her resolve solidifies and Alana's as well. That's the decision. I'm going to kill my brother. And so we get the major and the hopeful sound there uh, from the ominous beginning of the movement, which is carried over from the first movement into the more hopeful and almost prayer-like sound of the second half of that classical excerpt. So it's an absolutely gorgeous piece. It's a beautiful beginning. Um, the, the horn solo really would not have fit for when we cut back to, to Mason and he looks at his face in the mirror. Um, so I'm not sad that we didn't get more of it, but uh, I thought it was a beautiful choice and an interesting one. Um, there. So that those are the two classical pieces. Also very important to mention is that Bloodfest comes back once again by Reitzel. That's the um adaptation his his um uh version of the gold the aria from the Goldberg variations, which was used in Misamono, was used again in Dolce when they're sitting in front when Hannibal and Will are sitting in front of the Primavera. It's used again here with Hannibal and Will, and it continues through um until Hannibal turns himself in. But the orchestration changes for for it, and and we, it gets a much thicker orchestration. Um, there's a there's a left right march like uh, orchestration underneath it. Um, it it has a lot instead of being mostly the piano with these other uh, instruments in there, it's a lot fuller orchestration. It's not a thicker sound, but it's a tweaked sound. So their relationship has changed. It is not the the simple. Um, not simple, but uh, it's not the direct draw of the same piece that we got in Dolce. It's it's an it's an uh, uh, you know it, it's Reitzel playing with that those same themes, the same tempos, the same uh, sound or sorry, the same um, rhythms, but with a slightly different sound from a different orchestration. And that it cuts away um, when Hannibal says, "Jack, I'm here," and then we get the sort of dum bum of the march of the left, right, left as Hannibal gets taken in, sort of the march to his fate that we all knew was going to happen at some point because we, because of cultural osmosis, we know that Hannibal ends up um, under arrest. So those are the, the classical pieces or the previously existing pieces that are used in the score. There's also quite a bit of um, 
the, the orchestration at the beginning is really really stands out to me. We get what sounds like a toy organ, um, and, and and this is when um, the polizia come in um, to to save the day. And so I love that when we've had so much organ this season as connecting us to to Hannibal, but specifically to Italy, um, and and the this grandeur and this this idea of the church of it being a sacred space. Um, when the polizia come in, who are of course completely corrupt and there to to sell Hannibal out and they to to have Jack killed, um, it's not organ, it's toy organ. It's um, a bastardization feels really mean to the toy organ people out there, uh, but it's just it's it's this laughable imitation of what what an organ should be of what this space should be. So I really like the use of that. It also reminds me of Beverly's death because we had a bit of that same kind of sound at the end of the episode where she is killed um, off screen. But I don't think they're trying to connect it to that. I don't think Reitzel's intending that. I think it's more uh, more just this connection with Italy and with the actual organ versus the toy organ. There's a lot of really heavy scoring in, in that scene. Very, very dense texture, um, it, which I thought really stands out. It continues all the way... Th- um, through the, the the scene with uh, with seeing the Wendigo and all of that, and only kind of thins out a little bit later. And the other bit I'll mention because we're, we're going long is is I really like the scoring for Chio because when she first shows up um, to save Jack and talks with him, which was such a fun scene we've not mentioned yet, but um, there there's really clear sort of bell tones in the scoring that for me connect back to this notion of her being part of a fairy tale, like the the Huntress, capital H. Um, and there's also a bit of a, a metallic or a, uh, an electronic sound as well in there. So I think that really combines these different elements of what her scoring has been. The electric guitar has been very much used for her this season as well. But um, having those very clear bell ringing sound for her fits very well with that theme of her being in the, a character from a fairy tale, as does the very last instance we see her where we we get um, sort of a tinkling of uh, of you know, a, a fairy dust as she goes off into, you know, into obscurity. I assume we're not going to see her again, but it's like she's walking away into a snow globe um, with, the, with the light snow falling down and everything. She's just going off and she will, she will return should the need arise, should Hannibal escape. And uh, until then, she's just going to, you know, kind of go off to her own world. And so I, th- I really thought that was very evocative. There's more up at Sound on Sight um in the article about my thoughts on the score but those are the 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 two big things i wanted to mention for the scoring uh in this episode did you guys have musical moments you particularly enjoyed the last one that you mentioned like the wind chimes there in the final scene with chio uh really stood out it was an interesting way to end this whole arc that she's the final image that we get but it was really beautiful the way that the the snow was falling sideways and how the sound design worked there. Uh, I will say though that I've dedicated my life to the toy organ and that you greatly insulted me. Heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, any comments on music stuff, Libby? Before we move on, I am interested, uh, Kate, in that piece of music being used from James Bond, especially to underscore a scene where they're obsessed with male genitalia considering that Mads Mikkelsen's uh, James Bond tenure had him um, flaying uh, Daniel Craig's male genitalia. So I like when they pull a, when they pull things all together with a, a single piece of music. This episode was like obsessed 
with 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 penises with elegant imagery like when mason is like he cooked his penis and he's like trying to shock hannibal it's like do you know who you're talking to like i mean it's cute i guess but it's gonna take way more than that um and Cordell as well. We get more like obsession with with genitalia. It's all it it really stands as a contrast. Like Hannibal and we're like guys, it's not about penises. It's about so much more than that. Um, it's like this this immature, childish version of of Hannibal and Will's uh, connection. That's which which I think is really fun, and, and maybe the show poking a little fun at certain parts of its audience, but also just the way they have Mickelson standing. I know that this can never happen because it's NBC, but at this point, it's sort of distracting that we haven't seen fully nude Hannibal at this point because of how they keep posing him, where it's just like the Austin Powers thing. I can't not see the Austin Powers like feed trough. It's like totally naked Hannibal. You know he's naked, but we're going to put this here because we know there's a subset of the audience who would love to see everything. Is that is that just me? Am I just, do I just have a filthy mind because of Televerse's peed on the screen in 15? <laughs> no, not at all. And that would probably be the only change that Flow would make if they ever went to like a premium network. I don't think it would really get much more gruesome or anything. They would just occasionally show some Hannibal butt. Just more dicks. <laughs> uh, we can talk about that and other things also <laughs> in our next recurring segment, uh, The Devil in the Details. All the little things that stood out, be they visual or otherwise, of course, and I have a few things here. I just want to kick it off with you talking about how Hannibal was uh, was kind of stationed there, how he was uh, arranged in the pig pen. I just liked that he doesn't flinch at all when he gets a knife in his back and also when he gets a brand on his back. So that was another good touch about how fully he's able to, to I guess, turn off and just go into his mind to avoid pain like that. But uh, Libby, uh, something... Any little things that stood out to you? Oh God, I um, I loved the humor in this episode. I can't remember an episode of television I laughed at as much as this one, um, which seems like a really inappropriate thing to say. So when you were talking about how hurt hurtful it was when when Will was like, well, good for Jack. Like, um, I thought it was just such a perfect little shitty comment because he was literally sitting there waiting to have his face carved off. Um, and that was just only one moment in, in so many. Um, I just, I thought the humor, the black humor was just beyond the pale this episode and, and, and absolutely one of my favorite things about it. Uh, the, expression we get some of the some of the stuff we get with jack it was really funny to me like and i'll happy to tell you will you just pull this just pull this out of my neck come on uh the with the needle the the iv drip or whatever with the the sedative uh totally was laughing through that um am i the i can't be the only one missed him by that much i can't be the only one who went to, <laughs> to don smart to, sorry don, don adams and get smart with that right that's a thing that the character of of Agent S- of Maxwell Smart used to say all the time on the show Get Smart from the 60s. Uh it's really it's a really I've fun not show. I've seen it. Don't hate me. That's okay. We did it we did it on the DVD shelf over at Televerse and it's one of the quotes in our opening intro so I'm very familiar with it. Um so there's that one uh I have a very uh specific and you know very intellectual note here. Creepy face is creepy. 
which would be Hannibal's face in the leaves for Alana. I thought that yes. was really yeah. evocative. Um, the the I still keep my father's knife when when Mason is talking about the whole reminding us about the knife things like dude Mason we remember about you and your creepy dad and his creepy knife you stabbed it into the armchair last year you he's just so clearly monologuing uh, at this point it, it, at first I was a little annoyed that they didn't trust the audience to remember that and then I was like wait a second that's absolutely what Mason would do um, it did not surprise me to hear that he had the most lines like almost by twice uh as compared to anybody else in this episode because he just won't shut up and stop monologuing and it's just it's not working at all um i only have a couple other ones um the 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 i loved margot's outfit throughout this episode it's like uh, the it looked kind of coppery or maybe gold that blouse was gorgeous and the styling of her hair and makeup looked amazing fabulous um Hannah, uh, sorry mason calls jesus the riz the risen is are you good with the riz it's like it's like wow that was pretty ridiculous um cordell uh fleshler was just amazing as cordell we haven't mentioned him but he was really good um and then the last thing i guess i'll say here how many to choose from um oh two things i love that hannibal is vain about his hairline (laughs) he's like pull some hair not from the hairline let's not screw up what i got going on in the face uh so that was kind of nice and the push in on alana i thought was really neat as uh as we when she's talking to will about her motivations for going after hannibal it mirrors the camera push in on her when she's talking about old testament justice from i think it's episode four i thought that was a nice callback oh and i did think of one other and then i'll stop talking so you can take over sean uh but will at the end has his glasses back on because he's back to himself so when he has his glasses on it that feels much more like will and when he has them off it feels much more like will uh, he's more open to the rest of the world, which means he's more open to the influence of Hannibal. So I was really glad to see him with his glasses back on at the end. And that's all I have for Devil in the Details. I could not agree more with, uh, yeah, Will's glasses. And especially the comedy in this episode. There's there's lines that like really jump out and are absolutely hilarious. Like when Mason's telling Will and Hannibal about the process of the transplant and introduces Cordell. And Cordell just kind of walks up and just says hello, and then walks back out into the kitchen. That was a great delivery. Of course, Wills uh, could wreck some foster homes and torture some children. That was laugh out loud funny. And then uh, after he bites Cordell's face, the, well, no pajama party for you, Mr. Graham. Um, But then also just the visual comedy as well. Like, seeing Chio just walk around holding that rifle was one of the funniest things in this episode. Cause like, that's just her natural pose in the episode. Um, and then I think the only other two things that I had were, uh, during the, yeah, once we finally get Will back at his place, when Hannibal goes and sits down next to him, um, I don't remember, like, I mean, we, we go pretty in depth and this is our design, but I, I can't, keep a memory for all the little details. Um, the furniture, I don't remember like a chair like that being there because it felt and looked like a chair just taken from a therapy session in, in Hannibal's office or something. And, but just Hannibal sitting down to it almost felt like they were going down for one more therapy session. Uh, and then finally, the last detail I have and a question, I guess, was um, when Hannibal's talking to Chio and, and says that uh, 
iron and silver, that the most stable periodic elements are in between those two on the table, that why was that appropriate for her? I didn't get that. Maybe I'm just an idiot. I, I have thoughts on that, but I've, I've talked a lot. Libby, do you have any thoughts on that? I have no clue. I immediately went to Google and tried to figure out what the hell it meant, but I <laughs> was not successful. That's apparently a line um, from, I want to say Hannibal, that's used in regards to Clarice. Um, so that was a that was a lift uh, from from Thomas Harris. But for me, what it meant is she has she has a will of iron. She is she has the strength of iron, but she also has the elegance and uh, the elegance and beauty of silver. So she's some com and she's also incredibly stable. She's she's very steady. And so she is I think it's it's Hannibal paying her a compliment. And I think the it was a bit because the scene um, I thought it was a good scene, but uh, it's very brief. And it's just sort of that line sort of comes out of nowhere. And I don't think people are familiar enough with it or who don't know the, the Harris uh, for that for us to connect with that. So it just felt like a little off. But I, but for me, it, the notion of her having a will of iron, but also having the refinement of delicate and beautiful silver really did work. Um, this her being something but I was like like okay so A G is silver and F E is iron. Is right? there a yeah, word? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I would have if I had, had my computer I would have gone to Google too, Libby, so you're certainly not alone. But that's sort of what I took it to mean. Hey, that's fantastic. Enough description for me. Um Libby, any other details or anything that we haven't mentioned with regards to this episode that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've kind of glossed over the fact that there was a human fetus and a pig um, just chilling <laughs> Details. in the room in the yeah. mansion. So, like, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty glaring detail, and maybe it's not appropriate for this segment. But I feel like it's worth mentioning that there was, again, a human fetus inside a pig inside, I assume, the mansion. Um with the that little, was definitely a thing that happened. The little pigs hanging above it, too. The it little piglet so mobile. Creepy. Yeah. It was so also really sad. Like, it was a really deeply sad scene for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was tragic and awful and also still hilarious. Like, I watched this in public because I make bad decisions. And <laughs> I... Well, actually, not this scene, but when Mason started talking about having a surrogate... Like, I basically had my fist in my mouth because you knew exactly what that surrogate was. And I was just, I could not believe they were going there. And and they, they did go there. I thought Catherine Isabel killed it in this episode. Um, totally. And it was nice to see her fully react to that. And and the, the thing with the pig, like, what I like is that they really bring back in this episode with, with Margot... This is the kind of stuff Mason has been doing to her their entire life. Um, and so he, he tells like, oh, there's a surrogate. There's a baby. I want us to have a baby. He's been, you know, building this up for two episodes just so that because he knows he's got to know that that baby is going to die. And, it, you know, he's kept it in a something that where that could be viable long enough so that it looks like a baby. So that it's almost a baby. And then he puts it you know, in, in this pig so that she can find it and in, and both of them will die. And so, so that he can take away this, he had another child from her, uh, and, and call her a pig. So like, I, I thought, because when we first met Margot, um, 
it was implied that she had been maybe raped by him, uh, certainly terrorized by him, brutalized by him. But the show never got into specifics other than him liking martinis with her tears. Um, but so to, to have that come back here, it really felt like an underlining of, no, this is what her life is. Um, like, it could be fine if she humors him in the right way. It could be fine. It could be fine. But she gets a little uppity in the last episode. And so then he does this. Yeah, I agree uh, to the strength of that performance. And just really quickly before I wrap up, wrap up here, just a, uh, a thorough satisfaction, I think, with how they've handled the Verger arc since the end of last season. That's that all three of them, uh, Michael Pitt, Joe Anderson, and Catherine Isabel, have really been good in those roles. And that's especially in this episode, Isabel's uh, performance during the pig scene and then during the murder scene where she comes in and just tears have been streaming and the way that she delivers that mostly yours line and how much heartbreak there is there, um, that it, it worked really well for me. And I liked that we got this, even though it, it, at times it might've seemed somewhat disconnected from the series, but um, I, I guess just thinking about, this is just another example of how certain characters manipulates other characters. And, and like you said, terrorize other characters within this series, which is of course, uh, those are two running themes in this or, or through lines, I should say, but yeah, but big satisfaction there. And the only other thing uh, I did want to get your guys thoughts on um, here as we run long once again, is uh, the full circle nature of, of this episode and uh, with where we started the season with Hannibal feeding Gideon himself. And uh, I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on that, because for me, this felt like a contrast. I, I really got the sense of um, Mason. I, I was connecting with the the Dark Knight and the Joker talking about how he likes to chase police cars. But if he caught one, he has no idea what he would do, because um, I really felt like I felt that from Mason where he's like, I'm going to catch Hannibal. And I can do all these things. But like, I don't I'd spark more than bite um, when, when um, Cordell is Cordell, I think, is bite but mason feels like bark so when when he's talking about well first i'm going to remove your arms and things and i'm going to keep you alive with tourniquets and stuff. i'm like guys if you want to know how you feed somebody to somebody else and you you slowly do that just look at what, what he did with gideon that was far more elegant than this i'm going to cut off all your limbs at once thing um obsessed with eating hannibal's penis i mean like why i think it, i don't know if it was intended in that way but that's sort of what i was seeing i thought it was a nice throwback to have the the oyster again we're, we're flavoring hannibal with oysters um but how'd you guys feel about the you know antipasto ending with i wonder what you taste you know someone's gonna eat you to hannibal and then having it go to this place with uh with the vergers go for it i don't i don't know that i i don't i honestly like i i don't know that i actually made that connection like i should have made that connection but um i think that I mean, to a certain extent, it was inevitable that someone was going to try and eat Hannibal because he eats people. But um, I guess I don't know. I don't have any other <laughs> thoughts on it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, I I don't know if I have much to add, but that amusement that that you mentioned, Kate, earlier in the discussion, where it just kind of have a, has a smile on his face that whole time, um, and he's being taken through the same process that. Uh, he took Abel Gideon through that 
it, it must just be because of his aesthetics and taste that he has a real interest in what's happening and he wants to kind of know from Cordell what exactly they're going to be doing to him. Um, it, it was appropriate, I guess, that, uh, that Gideon's warning of somebody's going to, to try to eat you and wonder what you're going to taste like it was appropriate that Hannibal's reaction to that was just kind of elation. But uh, I guess that's it for this episode. Again, we have been running a little bit long. Um, so we will wrap up here. And, uh, of course, thank you to Libby Hill for coming on and talking with us in another long podcast. Uh, Libby, where can we find some of your work online? Or is there anything that you would like to plug to listeners? You know, I don't have anything significant. I did visit Brian Reitzel's studio for the New York Times. Um, so he jealous. played for me a little bit of the opening clip from next week's episode. Um, it was amazing and formed a very specific challenge for him. Um, as far as scoring goes, I'll let you see why that is. And, um, yeah, but you can find that on the New York Times website. Search for, you know, Wrightsell or Hannibal or Libby Hill. Otherwise, um, I, you can check me out on Twitter where I often, if I remember, link to things that I have written recently. That's twitter.com slash Midwest Spitfire. And thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Uh, and, Kate, what's going on with you? Oh, so much. Uh, if, if you can find my <laughs> you can find my reviews for Hannibal up at Sound and Sight, and uh, also my write ups for the classical uh, corner there as well. I still need to write this uh, episodes, but by the time you're hearing this, it should be up. Um, the reviews up the classical corner should also be up soon. Um, yes, I'm super jealous, Libby, and looking forward to the next episode so much uh, for that scoring, uh, the, the the approach he's taken on the second half of the season. Um, you can also find, of course, uh, my rating at the AV Club. Um, currently, I don't have anything going there, but you can, there's plenty. Of, if, if you if you want to revisit some of the other fun series of from this past year, you can check that out. Um, also, The Televerse is the weekly TV podcast I put out, so you can uh, look for that uh, at Sound on Sight or at, on iTunes, um, and that is covering the rest of the TV. And you can find uh, my weekly written reviews of Hannibal over at tvovermind.com and that's it for this week so thank you again listeners for tuning in again feel free to contact us in any of the aforementioned ways but uh, Kate and I will be back next week to talk about season 3 episode 8 The Great Red Dragon until then this has been another episode of This Is Our Design I don't wanna hold you I don't want to see you Even birth can bear disgrace I don't want to hold you I don't want to see you Or even the smile upon your face I fear my